0: Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. With Hello and
1: welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn, playwright, filmmaker, and professor of communications at American University. In each episode, we invite someone from the theater, who you'd see on stage, backstage, or in the house, to discuss an original cast album they love. And today we are joined by, all right, we agreed, actor, producer, director, Lee Liebeskind. Hey, Lee. What's up? How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. And you picked, this was a fun little conversation to get you to pick one. Oh, yeah? Uh, But you picked... Do people not do what I did? Usually, well, they pick a select, but yours were, I liked how yours had little reasons on them. So tell, okay. tell, the, tell the folks what you picked. Uh, we're doing Spring Awakening today.
0: Mama who bore me Mama who gave me No way to handle things Who made me so sad Mama the weeping Mama the angel in heaven or which is the only cast album I own?
1: Right, that was that was you had you had a couple choices and they each had a caveat, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't know how you wanted to. Right, which is for And you had this this one's you said is the only album on your phone, or is the only cast album on your phone?
0: It's the only cast album on my phone. Okay, I think I have a couple other little albums from mm. like punk rock bands and emo bands and some folk rock bands. And. But this is your cast album.
1: This is the only cast this, album on my phone. That's I think pretty it's the only great. one I've
0: ever bought.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty yeah. Well, this this is then we're talking about the right one. Yeah, because I, I literally I found the
0: CD the other day. Mm-hmm. I went home to pick up a bunch of stuff, and it had a bunch of old CDs of like they might be giants and uh, Tori Amos and Spring Awakening
1: cast album. All right. Yeah. Great. So this show this show is about what is it eleven years old now? Yeah, 2006. 10 years old. 10, yeah. Just about 10 years old. Just had its first revival. Yeah. Um, Which my buddy was in. Oh, really? Yeah, Russell Harvard, who's a, uh, an
0: actor who happens to be deaf. Um, he played one of the adult males. Oh, wow. Um, one, of my, one of my first shows when I came back to town was at Gallaudet with a Philly company called Amorellis And mm-hmm. he was in uh, a deaf hearing production of Much Ado.
1: Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's All really right. cool.
0: He's also in uh, There Will Be Blood.
1: Oh really? Yeah, yeah. He plays the deaf son. Right. Yeah. As an adult. Uh, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, he's so awesome. He's I'll tell really you cool. what. That's pretty great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's good pedigree for me. That's fit. so. Well, since you said that, I will tell you that uh, one of my God, he's not a friend of mine. Do you I'm know Marley two- Matlin? Is that what you're I about? I don't to know Marley no. Matlin. That'd be pretty funny. Be know, awesome. I know. I uh, know John Gallagher Jr. Do you really? I do. He's from Wilmington, Delaware, where I'm from, and he did shows. At the Wilmington Drama League, where I did shows, okay. and he didn't do a lot of shows there. He was very quickly kind of up and out doing professional yeah. stuff. But we recently saw each other again. We were both at a wedding, um, and oh, sitting cool. at the same table at a wedding, which was pretty hilarious. the The funny side script to that story is: so he was also in uh, American An Indian, Idiot, yeah, which is one of my wife's favorite shows of all time, and she had no idea that that's who he was. So we all sat together, and his sister <laughs> was there, and we talked, and it was great. I had a wonderful evening, and blah blah. blah and then we left and i told her later i was like well johnny was in american Idiot. <laughs> she kind of like retroactively had a freak out
0: <laughs> in the like, car she's like I'm oh my so god glad glad i didn't
1: know that <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty funny but that's where so that was funny and of course hometown pride for the show cuz he did win the tony award yeah. for this for this production so what how did you become uh, acquainted with spring awakening
0: uh, for the longest time i was really not a uh, i would say i wasn't a big musical fan um, but I was. I was mm-hmm. a super big musical fan. Um, but I would hide it from the world. The same way, like, you say you're like, oh, I don't like Shakespeare. Um, right. But you really Who love Shakespeare. Who says that? Tons of people say do that. Do they say that? They really do. They're jerks. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone's got the Shakespeare that they love. Yeah. Um, so I grew up, like, loving musicals and loving them a lot. And went through high school and went through a phase of, like, being abused uh trying to get vocal talent going oh um, okay yeah like my senior year was uh, they made me join magicals and sort of beat the desire to sing out of me so oh. Was like, oh i don't want to do musicals ever right um so i was in college uh i guess i would just got out of college and i'd gone up to new york for something and somebody had told me they were workshopping the show at the atlantic mm-hmm. um And I was like, oh, why would I want to listen to this? And they were like, this is a musical you're going to love. Just trust me on it. And so I went home and downloaded a bunch of uh, uh, Darren Cheek Mm -hmm. doing. um, Duncan Cheek. Duncan Cheek doing uh, some of the music. And was sort of Mm mind-blown about how resonant it was for me. And so as soon as the album came out, I went down to the record and tape trader and bought the album. Okay. Yeah.
1: So when you listened to the cast recording for the first time what because when this show came out when Spring Awakening came out I remember it being one of those shows that sort of like Hamilton is now though to a lesser extent like Book of Mormon and Avenue Q and and Rent that everybody kind of sat up and was like this is is new different and good Um, yeah I mean it was bold like mm -hmm. so for me who
0: was sort of the guy in college who was like I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to make it happen. And, you know, forget the the people telling me what to do. I'm going to do whatever we can. And when you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to figure out how to make it happen. Mm-hmm. This was the musical where it was like, oh, these are what these kids are doing. Which yeah. is like they're so tamped down by whatever society is telling them. That they start rebelling in small little ways, in the ways that normal teenagers do. And for me, that was the same thing that the musical was doing on Broadway, because this was 2006, Mm -hmm. would be like the reign of
1: Lion King, I think it was. Yeah, we were kind of at, we were at peak irony a little bit, like that Avenue Q ushered in this era of like ironic musicals. But this... I was going to say, you you still have a resonance with this, whereas I found, I mean, I heard it at the time, obviously... And then re-listening to it after you you picked it, um, I did find a little bit of a. I, I felt there was very one note. Yeah. Okay. In 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 the sort of in the character presentation to me, it just felt a little ins- like maybe insistent. I don't know what the word is. I'm exactly. It's not I'm looking complex. For. Yeah. I would say. Like. So I don't know if it was too like it was. I got it, sort of not halfway through, yeah. but like because I think Act One of this show is is. is I think startlingly the album is complex, from what okay. I understand, because I've never actually seen this. Yeah, neither uh, have I.
0: That the with the storytelling on top of it, it mm-hmm. becomes a much more complex
1: story. I believe that. Um, because it it's, it's not complicated, a complicated story. It's based off a play, which they're making into a movie, the play. Oh, they really? The original play, yeah. Interesting, um, the original play was very successful. Well, the original play is like from the 18th century, yeah, right? Or the 19th like... century. Um, there's a silent film version of it, I know. But I think with the success of the Broadway revival, right. they, this, this company got... Because it's also free. It's public domain. So yeah. you just take the script and like... It doesn't, doesn't... Right, oh, I'll tell you. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, this, they're supposed to make a movie out of this as well. Yeah. Um, out of the musical version. Interesting. Uh, the last update, I think, was like in 2014. Duncan Sheik was like, Yeah, I wrote a new song and it's on its way. So, all right. We shall see. Um, it's unfortunate that, like, Jonathan Groff and Leah Michelle aren't old enough to play the adults yet. Like, that would not be pretty. Just, they're just out of they're reach. They're just, I mean, another five years. Yeah. You can put mm-hmm. it, you can.
0: And with production schedules being as they as are. As they are, that's true. I,
1: I wouldn't put it past But then how could you book Leah Michelle and Jonathan <laughs> Groff and at that point? Probably. Really there may and, not uh, be.
0: What's his name? The dude from Pitch Perfect.
1: I know. Skylar, um... Austin? Aston? Aston? Skylar Aston. Skylar Aston. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I know. Who has the most unfortunate hairstyle in this show. Oh, my show? God. It's so amazing. It is. And those little teen, the little tiny, tiny teen glasses. glasses. Yeah, yeah. And that little flip hair. <sighs> oh, man. I always forget that in my memory... Speaking of the hair in the show, John Gallagher's (laughs) hair is like two feet tall, but it's not. It's just, it's a very reasonable fro. You think of it as like a racer head. I do. No. And I don't know if that's because I recently saw a forbidden Broadway poster from that time that had him, you know, a mock-up of him. And the hair is like... Six feet tall, of course. So I don't know if that's what I'm remembering, but I remember – like, I remember it being very tall hair. And then I just watched before he came in their Tony's performance. And I was like, oh, that's, oh, that's perfectly reasonable. It's <laughs> perfectly reasonable. But yeah. the guy's hair in that is crazy. And the girl's yeah. hair is great. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of pig, pig tails, tails, yeah. Long
0: hair. Like,
1: yeah, they look fairly normal. The guys just look crazy. They do actually look pretty nuts. Yeah. yeah. But they look – I think one of the reasons they do that is because – so you can tell them apart, yeah. like instantaneously, because they are – they're all wearing the school uniform, mm-hmm. which is exactly the same thing, or at least the girls are – and they're all about the same height, too, I noticed. Yeah. They're different builds, but they're all pretty much the same. A bunch of them are pretty similar builds, Yeah, Yeah, like, because, cool, like, if you let John Gallagher put his hair down – stood next to Jonathan Groff on that stage, you wouldn't immediately be able to tell no. who was so who. You put so. Skylar Aston right next to them, and you're like, yeah. those three guys look are... the, very... But so yeah. the hair keeps them, and the glasses and the and the such, keeps them very disparate, which is something that doesn't always get thought of in shows, I will say, yeah. and can be very confusing. But so you, you So I, for me like yeah I find it interesting that you still this still has
0: a resonance for you cuz it, it it just brings me back to life which is like we all at some point get lied to by our parents mm-hmm. especially about sexual things. Right. Um you know babies come from the stork and you know what sex actually does. Um and we all have this rebellious phase in us. Mm-hmm. I think every kid goes through yeah. a rebellious phase at some point. So for me those resonate because this is about children being lied to or children being put into the system and the structure,
1: it feels more resonant to me for a longer period of time. Oh, I see. Because it's sort of, would you say, like timeless and even though it's very like high school, it is sort of timeless in its setting in a lot of ways. I mean, because... Because it's like no high school we
0: know. I mean, this is not... No, everyone had their sexual revolution at some other period of some point in time. It wasn't all high school. Right. You know? So, yeah, I think, I feel like it goes on for a longer period of time for people. So I think, for me at least, it resonates for longer. Mm. Also the music, <laughs> like I, you know, I love musical music and I especially love rock musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, since this is the music of my college years, okay. it's the one that hits home the strongest. That All sort right. of emo rock. Yeah. Um, the Duncan Sheik and the, you know, Jeff Buckley. and Right. Yeah. Barely Breathing. It was a big hit. Um, (laughs) well it was it was a huge hit it was a huge hit and that's one of the crazy things about this musical was that you'd be like is that the Dawson's Creek guy
1: (laughs) (laughs) and he's writing a musical for Broadway what no but it was his idea that's the funny thing I didn't I assumed
0: that, that somebody was, came up to him. Well, it was
1: Stephen Slater's idea. And then they he found Duncan Cheek and like Duncan she was like, "Sure." But no, it was Duncan Cheek's <laughs> idea yeah. to turn this into a musical. I find that fascinating that it it wasn't Stephen Slater, pardon me, who wrote the book and lyrics. No, I'm just curious what the thought process was behind that where he was like, "I've just made tons
0: of money off Dawson's Creek and these like few hit singles that I've right. had. I haven't been heard from in a while. You know what would make me really popular again? Yeah. What I've always wanted to do?"
1: Spring Awakening. Yeah. Play from the 1800s. Let's turn it into a musical. Yeah, crazy. Like, yeah, it is a pretty. I, I, I wasn't. I didn't see any. I'm sure there's stuff online where he talks about how what, what brought him to this text. Yeah. But it, it's not sort of not at all the story of this musical. The story of this musical or the stars kind of who came who came out of it. That's sort of been more. That's the, the craziest thing to me. Yeah. is the the amount of star vehicle this
0: was for so many yeah.
1: people. Yeah, it's one of those shows where. You, you 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 know a lot of people yeah. in it even in the ensemble yeah. you would kinda go, Oh, I recognize them. Oh, I right it was one of those rare shows. Skylar Aston, the dude from Pitch Perfect, right. is not one of the lead characters. No, not at all.
0: It's funny, listening so re-listening to this album, mm-hmm. you know, you notice Jonathan Groff and yes. Liam Michelle and, and Skylar Aston for me. And but the the one who sold me on this album is is Lauren Pritchard. Oh who plays it, Ilsa. Ilsa, yes. The Don't Do Sadness Blue Wind. Mm-hmm. With um, oh, was John job, uh, Gallagher. With John yeah. Gallagher. Yeah. Spring and summer,
1: every other day. Blue wind gets so pained, blowing through the thick corn, through
0: the bales of hay, through the sudden drift of the rain. Spring and summer. That's the song that like sold me on this album beyond anything else. Oh, really? Yeah. I love it. One, because I love her voice. Mm -hmm. It's so smoky and resonant and filled with, you know, because she's a rock star. She's like an indie rock darling.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Yeah, Lolo. She performs as a... It's just um, so, so I like went after I heard that song. I was like, I need to see who this person is, and I remember going onto like MySpace at the time. There you go. Being like, what is her? Son? Oh my god! Li- like all the music that she's created is really mm-hmm. fantastic, but her voice is like perfect for this pained person who's trying to find hope in the future.
1: Right. Um. So it just blew me away. Yeah, it's an interesting. It's an. It is funny how I, I think that the first time I heard it, I probably couldn't have told you. Tell any of the voices apart? Oh, yeah. They all kind of because there's no even it all seems to be Barry Tenors and like mezzos <laughs> like throughout the whole. Well, it's whole all part.
0: in Duck and Cheek's voice. Yeah, it's it all is. in that. so like every song sort of sounds fairly similar to one another. Yeah, so I totally get that like it feels like a homogenized soundtrack, but for me it's like every... well,
1: once you start to know like yeah. once I know what Jonathan Groff sounds like and what John Gallagher sounds like and Lee Michelle, I can pull them out and you're right it becomes a lot i'm able to follow it a lot more but i will say when i first heard it that was one thing that put me out a little bit yeah the songs kind of droned into each other Mm -hmm. which is neat on one level but on another level i couldn't tell you anything about any of them i wasn't you sort of i lost the lyrics they kind of they did they they sort of faded away and i think when i first listened to this and first like it hit me in the heart was not the
0: story of Spring Awakening. <laughs> yeah, I know it was the album. Right. It's this feels like an like a rock album or an emo punk album that I would have bought at the time. Okay. Um, like Dashboard Confessional. Sure. Where like every song sort of sounds fairly similar, but they're on the same theme and they're slightly different in places. But the voices all sound like they're one person talking about this pain of growing up mm-hmm. in this world and trying to find yourself and break free from whatever it is. Um,
1: yeah, it is. I, I, I will say the songs that are the best for me are the the break free songs. Yeah. I mean, starting with Mama Who Bore Me, which is a great song. Which I, great I think song. objectively is a good song. It's something. So there's something in like Mama Who Bore Me, the reprise, mm-hmm.
0: and all that's known, mm-hmm. where like the rock guitar comes in on all of mm-hmm. those. And Don't Do Sadness is very similar. That the rock guitar comes in, and you can feel. Like the passion behind, like that instrument for some reason resonates in every single person as sort of different than what you've heard on Broadway at that time. Mm -hmm. And so it it feels more like the music you were listening to and the sounds that you were listening or I was listening to at the time Mm -hmm. where I go, oh, yeah, that. That chord hits me. There's a
1: couple songs on there that I, like, I'll okay. skip through. See, that was not, it was not the kind of music I was listening to. were you listening In to? In 2006, I was listening to Arctic Monkeys. They had just. Come okay, out. yeah. No, for me, it's like, you know, I grew up listening
0: to, you know, my aunt introduced me to, like, hair metal was what I started with. Oh, nice. You know, we were listening to, like, Warrant and uh, uh, Rat and Poison and Guns N' Roses geez. as a kid. Um, And that was, like, most of my music. And then, you know, we'd hit high school and I made new friends. And, you know, for a while there was, like, death metal that we were, you know, we were listening to a lot of, like, Skinny Puppy and Ten Inch Men and KMFDM. And then, like, we went through a phase of, like, okay, well, now I want to listen to folk music. And we listened to, like, you know, I I saw the last performance of Cry, Cry, Cry with Dar Williams and Richard Schindel and Lucy Kaplansky. And, you know, we went and saw the Neils live and, like... Very weird, but, like, I had a wide range of music, and so when things came out at the time, or I'd hear something at the time, so, like, you know, while I'm listening to these hair bands, I, you know, you'd also hear Jesus Christ Superstar, and mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, I hear those, those riffs mm-hmm. that are very similar. I love this thing. This is great. You know, my dad would listen to a lot of, like, the Beach Boys and the sort of Motown classics. And so we had Grease in my house. It was the only movie we had on Laserdisc. Um, and I could hear those, like, sort of 1950s music that he listened to mm-hmm. in it. And I'd be like, oh, OK, I, I recognize this. This similarly, I'd be listening to Dashboard Confessional and being, like, the whiny teen Emo Lee. Right. Um, and be like, no, this this is exactly the same thing. This resonates really hardcore. And I can hear all those musical instruments. And
1: I can hear those
0: riffs and tunes. And,
1: yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, it also, I, I find I, I exist in this kind of weird in-between space with a lot of, like, I had a group of friends who were really into, I guess, what you would call oi-punk at uh-huh. the time. Yeah, yeah. Where they, like, they would put out these CDs that they would make of their own songs they would have like 45 songs on them and the song and the cd was 45 minutes long <laughs> yeah, yeah. i mean these songs were were short and um that was one group of friends and then i had my other group of friends who were in shows and then i had another group of friends who were kind of into whatever you know yeah. independent indie rock let's say and i kind of floated amongst all of them and therefore in was was sort of grafted on to none because i think that what you're describing is never the way i i always have Music has always affected me in a much more intellectual way than an okay, emotional yeah. way. There are certainly music that makes me weep or makes me joyous. or I can't help but jump up sure. and down. It, I have all those. I, I am a human being. <laughs> but what you're describing of sort of grabbing and moving, I had a lot more with comedy. That was a lot more me. Oh, yeah. I was getting comedy records left and right and kind of finding new stand-ups and new bits mm-hmm. and new routines. And that's where I was getting that kind of like gobble it all up and oh I find a genre like this comedian and then I'd find what was like that comedian so that was kind of how I was was running around a lot it's so like I love comedy and I grew up watching a
0: lot of comedy and mm-hmm. listening to a lot of comedy as well but it, it was all intellectual to me mm-hmm. you know I'd sit there and I'd be like oh they're waiting two seconds to give the punchline. that's why that works so well yeah um and recently I've been talking to Pata uh at Synetic a lot mm-hmm. and he directs specifically only with music Every rehearsal has music behind it. Oh wow! Because um, he's like, music inherently in every single person touches the emotion. Oh yeah. Um, in some way, shape, or form, and mm-hmm. you feel it. So it's it's a quick language barrier breaker for mm-hmm. everyone to say like, great, I'm gonna play this music. This is the feeling of this scene. And I went, that's that's pretty neat. Really neat. Like, yeah. So every cinetic show is supposed to be like a musical without people without singing. Music. Hmm. Which is weird. Yeah. But I really no, but I get mean, that. I
1: mean, because he's absolutely right. Music does cut through. It yeah. it, it everybody can understand music. That's if, if we could express those things verbally, we would, but we can't. Yeah. So we have music. Um so, and as I said, that does like that would work on me. But it's funny that I never for some reason went out and found I was looking for movies and I was looking for yeah. comedy records, and that was kind of where I found that's where I found Jesus. So it's <laughs> like that that was, you know. And I think I'm the type of person who like I, see every, I try and see
0: every side of everything, and my point of view changes from second to second. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll still, like, remember the days when I'd be like, oh, Clerks and SLC Punk and Slackers came out. And that affected me so much. Those types of films mm-hmm. were, like, the first time I saw Abbott and Costello versus The Mummy. You know, like,
1: <laughs> I still remember it, like, you know.
0: And then years later, seeing Duck Soup. And being like, this is the. They're still comedies, and they're so brilliant. Similarly, of like, oh, Jesus Christ, superstar! Like, I love this, and the Who's Tommy. Like, you know, these rock musicals are really fantastic. And mm-hmm. then hearing Spring Awakening was like, oh, they're still doing it. Mm-hmm. They're still making rock musicals in some way, shape,
1: or. form. Because this really is a rock oh, yeah. musical. I mean, from what I understand, like I said, neither of us have seen it. But from what I understand, <laughs> like the the show stops pretty much, and they sing these songs yeah and they have microphones on stage at least in this production um very deliberately trying to stop the world and make it more yeah. and i understand that i don't know if it's in if it was on the tour or in the revival that for the last song the characters come back out in modern dress it's from the this one. it's from this yeah. Broadway production okay to yeah to sort of even more further drive home the sort of yeah the disconnect between the music and, and, and so the play. It's so different from, you know, the idea
0: of, like, I sing because I'm feeling an emotion. Yeah. so big that all I can do is sing, which is what you're supposed to do in musicals. Right. Or, or how I think musicals should be done. Um, this one
1: is really, like, you stop and you sing. Well, because the plays is, I, I think they're the play is about repression yeah. in so many ways. That, like, the simplest emotion is too big. Like, they can't, they're not allowed to express themselves. I think that's what drives me on this. Is yeah. That, you know, uh. You sit there and
0: you look at these characters and they're so tiny when you first meet them. But they're feeling something so big that they can't express at any given time. So it comes out in these songs. They have to stop the world to sing, which I think is kind of
1: fantastic. Yeah. Now, have you found as you got older that you're switching switching sides in this show? Not allegiance-wise, mm-hmm. but are you seeing it now? Because I have to say, listening to it today, mm-hmm. I was sort of, not that I was sympathizing with the parents, but I was a little bit more like, I see the mistake that parent has made. I see intellectually why you, you would lie to your kid. I don't agree with it. I hope sure. when the time comes to me, I won't do it. But I do get the like, that sort of like, this is going to be oh, terrifyingly awkward. And I'm going to like veer left here where I should go straight ahead. I
0: think I understood that from the, from b- the jump. From the jump, the things that I don't understand in this play are the the defensiveness of the parents. Mm. So, like, after – spoiler alert um, – uh, yeah. <laughs> Mort's dies. Right. Um, the parents need a way to blame his death on someone else. Yeah, they it's very dead poet society. Right. They yeah. can't say it's our fault, so they blame it on Melchior. Right. And so you're like,
1: why would you do that? Like, that I'll yeah. never understand. Oh, I – well, there's a difference between – I understand it. I, I, I wouldn't do it. I can't like – but I do understand the instinct. We've all had it. It's a very immature – I mean, that's one of the fun things about the show. It's I think – I understand it in life. I don't yeah. understand it in the sort of story. Well, the where... willingness to ruin someone else's life right. to save your own very short term. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. If it's like, It's a really – like a lot of – all of the solutions the parents have – or just solve the problem today, but which is kind of what's. My show thing is, about. I don't even see what the problem is.
0: Like, a kid has committed suicide, and that's terrible and awful, and the world
1: has changed after that. But what's well, no, their guilt? I think they're trying to assuage the their own guilt. It is not a. It's, it's not, not like, like in people, Dead Poets where they feel like maybe the school will get shut down, right? Which they tell us. It, it, it is. I think the two. It's not adults. like police
0: are coming in to be like, whose fault is this? No, I no, need to no. find blame, and somebody's going to jail. It's much more like I feel guilty about this, and I don't want to feel guilty anymore. Right. So I need to blame someone. I else. I need a
1: scapegoat. Yeah, and they get one. I mean, yeah. very easily. But that won't. Again, that's still only that's going to get them through tonight, and it might get them through right. tomorrow night. But then, you know, come Thursday, you're you're going to start feeling which is what bad I don't again. What I, like yeah, that I don't I don't understand. I, I, there's not something I'd be able to do. I, I do. I mean, I get I get acting out of fear. It's yeah. Know, it's a pretty strong emotion, and wanting guilt to stop also a very strong emotion. Yeah but yeah but in the like, long no, run I, no you're no, still going you to feel guilty about you don't all do this. that that's a pretty um, and
0: well, you're putting it on blame on another child yeah. like you know the thing I for- well, and there's the a, thing
1: I forget about this is that the kids are in high school they're like yeah 16 17 18 like, Yeah, if that i mean that's the thing is we don't really know how old they are right. and it's that like they're certainly not 13 the boys aren't anyway right. but they're also not 18 i mean they're not like in they're definitely not anything that could be considered an adult yeah. and they are they are constantly being asking the right questions being given the wrong answers yeah. and then uh, have to deal with the consequences of their parents emotions what's really funny about act 2 in this to me is that act 1 kind of coasts along mm-hmm. pretty normally the problems are pretty normal like it's over yeah. but then this event happens at the end of act 1 where melchior maybe maybe doesn't rape Wendy. it depends on how you stage totally. it it um, depends on the song afterwards. It depends on the song afterwards. It depends on how everybody performs it. Depends, yeah. There's a lot, which I really like. I love the ambiguity of that. I of do like too. you can You can do this however you want, but one way or another they have sex yeah. and she gets pregnant... And in that moment, like everything falls apart in a very quick but logical spiral. Everything just completely spins out of control, and the and the adults do nothing but make it worse. (laughs) (laughs) every turn, it's so crazy. And like I
0: I I understand
1: and logically, like not in one of those like mustache twisting ways. I feel it's like you get a character like they make a dumb decision. Like they're not gonna they're not gonna pass uh, Mortis. Which up to the next level because j- just to sort of assert their power over him it feels like to me. Well, but that like causes they didn't, they this didn't like... They don't want to put everyone forward. They were I like, we've we got to prove
0: that we're not like just making this easy for everyone. Right. Somebody has to fall behind and they threw a
1: dart at a dartboard Right, like, this kid. That kid. And then, and then that like the, the ripple effects which I can only imagine because when they did it in this production anyway, there were only two adults in the whole cast. Yeah. I can't imagine like what that was like as an audience member. That's so great <laughs> to be like it's the same people but then, like, reacting to decisions that they made when they were the other right. character, like, ten minutes ago. I just think that's, like, oh, man. And it's what's funny is is the, to me, is that everybody, all anyone's ever thinking about in this show is themselves. Yeah. But when you're 16, that's fine. Like, Except it's, for the, Ilsa. That's, well, but she, I think she probably was at the beginning. But she has sort of been forced to grow up since she was thrown out yeah. of her house. And she has grown up. I mean, in a very real and... She found an artist colony, which I <laughs> think is a great <laughs> – something they had, you know. there's an artist colony. Yeah, but even in the end, she's the only one who's sort
0: of like – remember that time that we were all together? Mm-hmm. Think about us all and not just yourself and, you know, your problems are yours and we totally understand that. But but she still doesn't
1: – I mean, it's a dramatic device, obviously. She still doesn't tell Melchior the truth. No, she doesn't at all. Um, the kind of the ghosts do that. In a, yeah. In a, yeah, I mean, obviously – you want you want him to stumble across her tombstone you don't want yeah. her to say it it's much more affecting yeah. but it's uh she still she still makes an adult mistake in my opinion i mean like totally. you would but that mistake is so it's very understandable it's a very it's like not, it's not just understandable for me it's it's so out of
0: kindness like, the the mistake not to tell him mm-hmm. what's actually going on and to keep the letters going. Right. You know, it's so out of, I don't want to hurt this guy anymore. Right. He's already been hurt.
1: There's no gain for her. That's true. There yeah. is only pain for I mean, she would have to know. Like, eventually right. he's going to come home and eventually you're exactly. going to be told the truth. You know, yeah.
0: She's only going to cause pain to herself at some point in time. So there's no, like, um, uh, you know. Uh, I'm doing this because I want to sleep with him later. And, That's
1: true. It is you know. not... Ma- yeah, there's nothing malicious about yeah. it. It is It is very much out of love. Where, like, everybody else's choice is all about themselves. Yeah. Yeah, the suicide kind of feels that way to it totally me. Does. It really does. It feels very... I mean, it's, again, very logical. You have a 16-year-old kid who's been crapped on in every direction and feels he has nowhere to go. But it does kind of feel plot devicey to me it's... in the middle of Act 2. Yeah. Like, to get... To get to to then push us to some very logical things that happen after it. Yeah, but like I, I the song's great. I the mean, song's you, great, but yeah. I I remember feeling that way. I
0: remember oh yeah being in high school and although the problems were very small at the time, they were the world to me. Yeah, and I remember being like cutting the back of my hand with a knife just to feel pain. Oh wow, I never and, did that. No, like I was. A, I, I was I did. a very
1: sad kid. Well, I was too. I I, I feel like I had. Uh, a lot of moments of just like, I remember feeling unbelievably lonely. Like, yeah. that sort of thing resonates with me even still today. I remember I feeling still feel very lonely. Most do you time. really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I'm of... prone to loneliness. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like it, certainly. But it, it's a, yeah, I remember that that feeling of just being like, I'm alone and it's never going to stop. It's yeah. that whole, like, it's, it's a funny little thing in, um, I was just listening to the Heather's musical the other day, which if you've never heard it, is, <laughs> I have not heard. Oh, it it's yet. phenomenal. Um, but there's a reoccurring theme in that th- the threats between the teenagers mm-hmm. that they're that they're gonna you're gonna die alone. Like that's a frequent threat. Yeah. And I remember feeling that way. And now I look back twenty years, and I'm just like, what the hell was <laughs> I even? I was 16, but it was like you couldn't conceive anything past anything it. past it. It was such a yeah. it was such a and I don't know. What it is in our brains that – because I know I'm not the only one and you're not the only one to feel that way. Like that is a very common feeling. And I don't quite know how I got through it, frankly.
0: uh, The feelings at that time are things you can't conceive of. Like you haven't had the experiences in your life to be able to know. Uh, You talk about this – we're going to go podcast. That's fine. You talk about this with Jason Mm -hmm. at one point in time during the Chess podcast where Mm -hmm. he talks about – I know him so well. Yeah. Yeah. The Mm – you know – the, once you've gotten over, once you've had a breakup, and you've gotten over love, not being able to feel love the same way at the same time, right. and so for me, I, I don't agree with that. I think you feel love differently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still the same. It may not seem like it's the same level, but it's the same. It's just different. So yeah. you think of it as not the same. But at the time, you think nothing will ever feel the same when you're sixteen. Oh, absolutely. So for me, at least, you know, all I felt at that time. Was sadness and feeling alone, and mm-hmm. no, not knowing if it would ever end, of uh, not knowing that like it gets better, which it yeah, does, it does. Um, so, the the idea of wanting to feel something different, or to stop that feeling from happening,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is great. And by when you feel alone, you don't know there's other people you can go to to have that conversation to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. You just know that you feel alone. And it's sort of perpetuating on itself. And you do feel like you're the only one who feels right. alone. Right. And no, yeah. you can't talk to anyone about it. Right. Because you're the only one who understands it at that time. You don't know that, oh, Patrick, who sits two seats away from me, feels the same thing I'm feeling and we can talk about it.
1: That's the hope I have, I honestly say, for the sort of the technology push yes. that teenagers have now. is There are certainly a lot of negatives. But I hope at least one of the positives is that, like, there is this readiness where you can, at 2 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. text your friend and be like, I feel really alone. Well, beyond that, like, you know, there's a world of
0: communities out there. Right. On the Internet. On the Internet, yeah. That there are some bad ones, but there's some really like, Project UROC, mm-hmm. um is fantastic about helping people understand anxiety and depression and, uh, you know, uh, bipolar disorder in themselves. So you can sit there and go, Will Wheaton, I remember you from Stand By Me. You feel anxiety? Yeah. I feel that too. You know, back in the 90s... We didn't have – you know, the internet was just coming out. Yeah. Um, or at least, you know, the early – If you were lucky. I if you mean, were lucky. Yeah, like, there was a lot of, yeah. we had
1: AOL at that time. We did too. found yes. chat rooms, and that was about did it. Did you really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I never, I never dared. <laughs> I was doing – God, even then, I was doing research. That was kind of like I was digging into, like, yeah. historical facts and things. That was what I was doing. But still at the time, you didn't know where to search
0: and how to search. No, and not at all. I think with the, the advent of technology, you now have – a great number of communities that can help you, and a knowledge of how to find them, mm-hmm. much
1: easier than we did back in the day. Certainly, um, and yes. and these sort of emotions have been obviously represented culturally, and then also destigmatized yeah. to a great extent. I still think there's a long way to go. Totally, but where we were twenty years ago. They still feel sadness, and they still feel mm-hmm. isolated, and they still feel
0: bullied. Um, and yeah. sometimes they don't know where to go. And, right. that you know, it's our job to help them find these places. At that time, so I, I, I feel what Mort feels, which is like... That's really, yeah. I don't know how to, ha- like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to reach out, which is what I don't do. Sadness does.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's her sitting there being, like, not telling him exactly what she wants to tell him, but not being able to reach out when she does offer a hand. And even at the end, he finally from what i've read yeah Um, right i know we're (laughs) we're taking
1: all these plot synopsis off the internet and the booklet
0: that comes with it what i've read is that he gets to the end of the song and he turns around to he finally realizes that somebody's reaching out a hand to him right and he turns around and she's gone she's gone yeah and so at that point he has nothing left right um so i you know i no longer feel these things Mm -hmm. in the extremes that i did as a 16 year old boy but I understand where he's coming from, and I felt those things at yeah. that time. You know, it,
1: thank God I did not. I know, no, you know. thank you. There is a certain you know there, but for the grace of God, kind of yeah. feeling to these to these sort of these thoughts, especially when you look back on them. I don't think at the time, like there, the life was black and, and dark in moments. But I don't think I, I don't think I was thinking that far ahead. You know, yeah. when I would have these dark thoughts, and now I look back and go, "Ye, yeah. that was." Ugh. That was yeah. pretty touch and go there for a few, for a little while. But,
0: um, you know, falling in love, you know, yeah. the whole conversation of him falling in love for the first time and not knowing how to talk to that person. Yeah. You know, I I remember that. You know, I remember my first crush and mm-hmm. not being able to talk to her at all. And yeah. And being like, how do I, you know, I'm not the, the most popular person on the planet. How do I talk to this person? Why would they even want to talk to me? Mm-hmm. Which a lot of, the characters in this play feel. So why I got to do community theater. It's the only... <laughs> I never did community oh, theater. Oh, did you not? I got to theater late. Oh, Like, like how my old were you?
1: junior year of high school. Oh, okay. Um, and then... Yeah, if you're... I'll tell you what, folks. There is nothing like community <laughs> theater to get you to like... Just put you... Because what it does is it puts you in a room with people your own age or a little older, a little younger, of the opposite sex, and you're all just there, <laughs> doing something you love to do. And you'll still have crushes and not talk to yeah. people and be... Like, all that. But it's so much more, we're all doing this together. Mm-hmm. We're all, And then when the show goes up, you know, you're all putting on the show, and then we all just... I mean, I'm, I am so lucky to have had a place like the Wilmington Drama League where I went, where even in, like... And I, I would have everything that you're exactly describing, yeah. but I still got to go to rehearsal... And I got to spend time with these people, in a productive way. You know, it's just not just hanging out. Yeah. It's in a, we're all working towards something here. And I remember bit. that in my high school, like mm-hmm. so,
0: I think my junior year I did my first production in high school, and before that I would wear like, oh dear, uh, it would be. Black ripped jeans, a black T-shirt, and a long black trench coat, no matter what time of year it was. Wow. Um, so you were that kid. Black nail polish. Right. Black I eyeliner. I got you. Very, mm-hmm. you know, very in my world. And, right. And, you know, seeing p- being put into a situation where I had to work with other people mm-hmm. and do things with other people that had different perspectives and different lives and still accepted me for me.
1: Not you because know, you hung with Leonardo?
0: Not because I hung with Leonardo. Um, you know, doing youth group, like mm-hmm. the neighborhood youth organization helped that understanding of like, Oh, I can be whoever I want and they're going to accept me. And mm-hmm. I'm not alone because they're feeling the same things. Yeah. Community, th- I, community theater. Does yeah. Community theater was our, that was my, I just my saw my, my first community theater production. Oh really? Like a couple months ago. what Uh, 1776 at McLean. Okay. Theater. Sure. Um, my wife's uncle was in the show. Okay. Um, yeah. It's great. I like 1776 a lot. It's fun. It's a it fun. It's a fun little show. I'd never seen. I'd never heard it until I married Megan, and she was
1: my like... my recollection of Seventeen Seventy Six is that, like the whole end has no singing in it. Is that my? Am I correct in that? Like you hit a point. <laughs> you hit a point where there's just like it's just yeah. There's just, no singing for uh, a long time. It's like molasses to rum.
0: Right. Hits, and then I think there's one. Song and then they have
1: to write the Constitution and, then, and like or
0: the Declaration pardon me, and yeah. it all gets to that, and then it just. Yeah, it's sort of like it's sort of, it's sort of the ending. If I remember correctly, is just them calling out names, right? And there's no music, <laughs> like maybe some underscoring, but because I remember
1: it. I, it's the movie I mainly remember of that show, and I, that's what our yeah, it's a great movie. And but it is like but the play itself, yeah. There's no song at that's the very funny. End. there's no like rousing
0: finale, big anthem for everyone to join in on at the very end, yeah. Which
1: you typically have in a you would typically movie. have that yeah. even in Spring Awakening. Well, you don't. That's that was one thing I was going to say about like as a complaint, but I I feel like. It's not fair to complain about structural things about a show unless you've seen it. Yeah. Um, but I was listening to this on my iPhone and it ended, and I didn't notice that the so- that the show had <laughs> ended because the opening is very clear. As we say, "Mama Who Bore Me" is, yeah. is is an opening number. I mean, that is. But but the song of Purple Summer is is a very is a very flat finale to the album. Yeah. Now having never seen it. I, I am. I am not going to say it's a flat ending to the show. However, it feels like a show that needs a closing number desperately. Really? Yeah, oh I, I feel. But which you might, which when you stage it, it may have that. it. Like that may be. It may just depend on how it's staged, and it might be a closing number, like in its own its own way. But yeah, I mean, since I haven't seen, it, I don't know. But I feel yeah. like that song sort of
0: mirrors the first version of Mama Who Bore Me, which is Leah Michelle just singing by mm-hmm. herself. And then you have everybody singing this kind of sweet song of hope afterwards. Yeah. Um, so you've gone through this period of storytelling, of hitting the climax and the falling action. And now we're sort of in this area of like things do, you know, we can get better and we can get overcome things and we can do things, which you have in the song before it as well.
1: Um, Right, that was the thing. Is I think that you like end with in, the, the in those you've known yeah. I felt like I had my finale.
0: You watch me just watch me. I'm calling I'm calling and one day all will know yeah. A little
1: bit and then, you know, there was another song. And I kinda of felt there's the song that comes lit in act two is it the reprise of World of Your Body where it's the two guys? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember like those two characters hadn't had a solo song before. So I was listening to it walking here and I was like, "This is weird. Like how much longer in this show do we have? And then so like when I have a song that feels like the finale and then the song of Purple Summer comes on, I was like, oh, I guess I'm not as close to the finale as I thought I was. And then it was over. that funny thing of like because I was walking and, and you know so I'm not watching my phone while I'm walking yeah. and it was that kind of like it's the interesting thing is
0: that the, the weirdness of this musical that I kind of dig is that it is an ensemble musical but it's really focused on like four characters oh yeah uh, but the other characters are kind of fantastic and great mm-hmm. and have these really
1: Oh, reading the synopsis, stories. everybody's got a plot. Everybody's yeah. got a story. Everybody's but got something. But in the album,
0: you only really get the story of four people. Right. With a couple bits and pieces of well, other things. Well, and they
1: things. were the stars. I mean, it's also yeah. that thing of, if you haven't seen it, just knowing the show, it's 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 John and, and Leia and, and Jonathan Groff, and that's it. Like, those yeah. are the big three people came out of the show, and they're all still obviously working today. And yeah. Keep, like... I don't know, my buddy John. I don't know my if he'd dog, recognize me. He probably wouldn't. He's a really nice guy, but uh, yeah, he wouldn't pick me out of a <laughs> damn lineup. <laughs> it's funny, also, as you as you, as I, I sit here and argue that this thing needs a closing number like a traditional musical. Damn it! There's nothing traditional about this show, so why the hell no. should it have a closing number? Like I'm now sitting here going, "You're wrong." Like there's nothing. <laughs> it 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 does it bear, because the opening number. I say I argue that "Mama Who Bore Me" is an opening number, but it isn't. In the tr- It's more like no. it's more like the third number. You'd have the opening number, you'd introduce all the characters, and then you'd have kind of a comedy number to rep, and then you'd have the one character step forward and tell oh, you yeah. how they feel. Whereas this just opens, and like you say, then just goes right into a reprise Which of the same
0: song. <laughs> but that's why I think it feels so, like a yeah. good album to me. Mm-hmm. It may not be a great musical album, but it feels like a great album to me because it feels like... You know the Jeff Buckley album. It certainly
1: feels like an album. I yeah. would I would agree with that. And it, it, you... my expectation, if your expectation is to hear a cast album, that is not what you're going to get. You're yeah. going to get something much more akin to an album you would hear in 2006. Yeah. yeah. You know that's why I think the the closing number makes sense mm-hmm. to me. While like structurally, it makes sense to end with the ghost song. Um... Yeah. Well, it is kind of a coda song, which musicals, yeah. which is a musical thing where you have. I mean, it's it's like the. You know, like in Les Mis, they have the finale number where Jean Valjean right. dies in the bed. And then everybody comes out and sings, do you hear the people sing? And it does which wrap us up. I just, listened, I just saw for the first time. Really? Like this year or something. Oh, we've talked about it a lot on this show. I know. A, I listened uh, to Evan talk about it. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. It's still one of our favorites. Um, it's everybody's like, oh, "It's love great that show." Musical. I ironically think it's a great show. Um, but so that, that having a closing number and then having a finale is not uncommon, which is, the, I guess, what this show is kind of more doing. Yeah. But it, it's, again, I, I think, I now feel like I'm talking about it in the wrong terms. Like, that's not, it, it's not trying to do anything but kind of create a mood, that sort of, and, and, and get a so. point across. I yeah. think that
0: was the whole, I, I feel like that's the whole point of this album, is mm-hmm. to make you feel something. Um, you know, plays and musicals are meant to tell you a story, um, and this kind of... Tells you a story. It's a very simple story with a lot of complex elements to it. Um, but it's a pretty simple story. And it is
1: it is produced, the album, by Duncan Sheik. Yeah. Which, is certainly, I mean, an experienced record producer that he is. But it is funny. I wonder what it would have sounded like produced by somebody yeah. who was a Broadway cast album producer. Beyond, like, I love this album. The original cast album is amazing mm-hmm. and wonderful. I love that the revival
0: was a Deaf West revival. Yeah. One, because I... I you know, I've been steeped in deaf culture for a little while, not to the point where I'm like, I love, you know, I am deaf culture hearing world. Right. You know, like I lived on Gallaudet's campus for a little while and oh, wow. worked there for a little bit in my first production in town. And, there, you know, learning, sign, learning the little bit of sign language I that I gonna know. I was going to ask you if you, can, if you know ASL. but uh. Uh, I know a little bit. I can communicate okay, but not fluently. Okay, Um, which is a
1: good thing. I should probably learn how to sign something like I don't speak, I don't know sign language.
0: (laughs) So, like, you know, I learned how to say, I learned how to live on the campus. So I can say things like I want a hamburger and French fries Mm -hmm. and yingling. But to actually have a and like, I can understand a little bit when I see it, but I'm catching every fourth word Mm -hmm. or so because I I don't keep up as much as I should. Right. but like you know, Def West has done some amazing work. Their mm-hmm. Big River was fantastic, yeah. and this production, from the little snippets I've seen on YouTube, because mm. I wanted to go up and see it and I haven't. <laughs> um, you know, getting to New York when you're trying to make theater as well is yeah, no, it's not the uh, difficult, not easy. Yeah, uh, but the little snippets I've seen have been brilliantly expressive and really get the feeling of the show more than anything else, which is what you're talking about. Like mm-hmm. when the the show stops and they start singing a song. You're getting this beautiful visual language um, through it all. Mm -hmm. You know, they're interpreting a lot of the things not strictly towards an ASL language, but towards this interpretive language. Which is what we did in Much Ado at Gallaudet is that you can't go straight from English to ASL. There has to be an interpretation and understanding Mm because certain... Colloquialisms or certain things don't really match up. So, like when Virgis and Much Ado says, let him be opined, um, that doesn't really make sense. The wordplay doesn't make sense mm-hmm. to them, um, to, to deaf culture. Um, so, it has to be interpreted in a different way, and that joke has to be made differently. And similarly, they did a lot of that in the Deaf West production, where sometimes it was word for word interpretation and mm-hmm. sometimes it was sort of this uh,
1: reinterpreting it into well, it ASL. Well, because it's is—it's translation. You're yeah, translating yeah. it into a different language. Yeah. It, it, and every every good every good translation of anything is is not literal. It yeah. is translated. But to have both that and the English version going on at the yes, same time. Yeah, simultaneously. No, that's pretty. It'd be like having
0: the Russian version and the English version going on at the same time. which Yeah. Is, but it's understandable. And, right. And, you know, even for people who don't know ASL, you get the feeling
1: of those things, sort of like you feel the album, and mm-hmm. sometimes you don't really. It is. It's a mood, and it's a you know it, it, the the album is interested in creating a mood yeah. to me, which it does. It it absolutely creates a mood, and the um the show is interested in uh again not creating a mood, but getting you into the emotion of the moment because the plot yeah. is very very simple. And, it's very straightforward. And you've, heard, yeah. you've seen this sort of show before, where star-crossed lovers and yep. death and all that sort of thing. So I think the show right the show also apparently diverges from the original script from my understanding plot wise well. I've never read the original uh, script. Uh, so. Neither have I. Um, we haven't even seen this show. <laughs> we're, we're very unqualified. <laughs> we're talking about the album. Though. We're talking so about so the album. We're cool. No, that's why it's yeah, cool. It's It's, good. Good. it's, it's good. fine. Good. It's the album. It's all. Yeah. It's all, it's, all, it's fine. It's a free podcast. So. <laughs> The, we're experts in something. Wow! Sure, well, yeah. Give me whatever. I turned all this equipment on. Yeah. Well, this is great, Lee. Yeah. Thank you very much for Thanks. this this wonderful conversation. Is, where, so, what? Uh, what you got? What do you have going on now?
0: I'm doing Rorschach's first show of their season. It's a new play called A Bid to Save the World by Aaron Bregman. It's this really amazing, beautiful, crazy play that deals with grief and overcoming grief and death and life and how we get past things um, and how to overcome things, which you know is just beautiful and has lots of uh, new songs and dances and movement in it, which are great. Um, it's a play that uh, came to Inkwell about four years ago, I think, um, and two of our readers found it and wanted to do a workshop, so Inkwell helped with the development of it at that workshop and we sort of fell in love with it there. Um, And so we, Inkwell did a couple workshops of it on its own, and then it went to Source Festival two years ago and got a Source Festival production, Um, and Erin's still been working on it, and we've been working on it with her, and so now we're going to do the world premiere of it, and it'll be at Atlas Theater in the Springer, um, and it'll run from September 12th to October 2nd, Um, and you can get more information at www.rorschachtheater.com. Um yeah that's the the big thing that's
1: coming up I'm really excited for it The original cast was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Jeffrey Madison, Tom Fish, Imani Mular, and the tireless staff of students who run the front desk. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at Pod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. You can email us at OriginalCastPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to the original cast on iTunes, and while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating so other people can find the show. My thanks to Lee Liebeskind for coming down and talking to me tonight. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal.